Well, maybe you saw the motion picture several years ago entitled Castaway. Tom Hanks played Chuck Nolan. Chuck Nolan was an engineer, a very gifted engineer for FedEx. And he was a troubleshooter. He was a problem solver, but trouble came his way. He was on a private company plane. It went down. He crashed on an isolated island deserted island, and there was no means of communicating to the outside world. He would be the only one that would survive in that small plane, and so he began to make the kinds of preparations to, to live some more days so that uh, he would gather up some water and what little bit of food he could find, and he decided that he would look at a few things that was really in the cargo bay, and and he began to open some of the packages that were being delivered, that were on their way to their destination. And he was hoping that he'd find something that would help him. He had uh, he discovered roller skates. That didn't help him much. And, and he discovered uh, some shoes, women's shoes. And he came across a volleyball. And he named it Wilson. Well, that's what it was tagged as, and it became something he personified. He gave it a face, and he would talk to it, and he would cry with it, and it became a depository where he would kind of emote over his loneliness and fear of the future, and he developed a relationship with this volleyball. And there was another package that had an address, and he did not open it for whatever reason, on the outside it had angel wings. Well, he was found and a vessel picked him up. He went back to the States and the last scene of the movie, he is in Texas, rural Texas. He's disheveled, he doesn't look good. He probably hasn't even showered yet and he goes to the door and he lays that package unopened. And he says, thank you. Thank you for having this package mailed. It saved my life. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, I think there were a couple of things that saved his life. Things that were critical to him being able to live on. One was he had a purpose in that he needed to deliver that. That was something out in front of him. Something still left to do. We all need a purpose, don't we? And that was his for that moment that allowed him to survive. But the other was that he committed himself, whether fictitious or not, whether a figment of his imagination or his hallucination, he had a relationship with a volleyball. Oh, that we would survive. Oh, that we would be stronger in our journey of faith. Well, there's a key to that. It's relationships. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have drawn us here. Something within us cries out to be with one another. We know that we cannot make this journey alone. That our Christian faith cannot be lived in isolation. 
So teach us to value the relationships you've called us to. And thank you for this fellowship of faith where our relationships are vitally important. It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen. The late Scott Peck wrote this about relationships. We can never be completely whole in and of ourselves, apart and by ourselves. We are inevitably social creatures who desperately need each other, not merely for company, but for any meaning in our lives whatsoever. You see, God created us for relationships. In fact, in the very beginning, he said, humankind should not be alone. Man shall not live. It is not good for man to live alone. And Jesus sent the disciples out, not by themselves, but two by two. He knew that they would offer encouragement to each other. And that early church did something very, very effective. They realized the truth of how relationships really make a difference. And they became excellent at relationships. You see, the church was never meant to be a collection of acquaintances. The church was really never meant to be a building. A better metaphor for the church is an organism, a live, living creature with different parts interdependent on each other. It was meant metaphorically to be more of a family. And so we celebrate the relationships we have in Christ in the church. So right now at the beginning of this year, we're taking a look at the importance of relationships up close and personal and how they're vital. And last week we talked about how, yes, we live for Christ, but it's important that we take that prepositional phrase seriously. We live in Christ. And from our faith, the outflow of our faith exudes joy and acts of compassion when we live in Christ. And so Bob read for us Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 45, where they devoted themselves, those early believers, to the teaching of one another and their fellowship. And they shared in the sacrament of Holy Communion the bread and wine, and, and they prayed together, and, and something happened. They were filled with awe. There were signs and wonders that took place because the Holy Spirit was presiding and because they were together. And it says they shared their possessions as any one of them had need. And so what I'm making as an observation is that early church excelled in developing relationships. And so we should learn from them. We should be informed in our own understanding of Christian theology and relationships, how, how important it is for us to, to relate to one another. Because all of us have needs, and we have a need for one another. I would venture that some of you here today have needs that are physical, and others it might be spiritual, and others financial, 
And maybe even in the midst of your relationships that are not necessarily a part of this church. We all have needs. And isn't it wonderful that we enter into this this community and it is more than than superficial acquaintances. I believe the Christian faith helps us to understand what authentic friendship really is about. I mean, your neighborhood, yeah, you can make friends. And your country club, it can give you a lot of things to do, a lot of good activities. And your job can supply you with a context to develop your leadership. But the church is distinctive. The New Testament word, the Greek word is koinonia. It means a deeper kindred spirit, a supernatural bond that takes place in the life of the community of Christ. And those early believers experienced that. And they experienced it in a manifestation that had some variety to it, different manifestations. And I invite you to look at your message notes this morning as we take a look at some of those significant relationships that are unique to the church, I believe, or at least more significant in the life of the church. And the first is everybody needs a Paul. And as I mention these names, I want to mention to you that they happen to be all men. I don't want to be exclusive at all. In fact, some of the illustrations I'm making are going to have women highlighted. And there are female examples, but today they're simply male names. And the first one is Paul. Paul was a mentor. And let me point out that everybody needs a Paul because everyone needs a mentor, someone they can look to. And Timothy was the younger son of Paul in that early church, and he needed someone to learn from, someone that he could look up to and find direction from, someone that would give him guidance a mentoring relationship. Bill Beal says defining mentoring is sort of tough, but describing it is pretty easy. It's like having an uncle that cares for you for a lifetime and wants to see you do well. He's not your competitor. He's there to support you, not to compete against you or discourage you. He is not necessarily your critic, but your cheerleader. I want you to know I have some Pauls in my life. I have a female Paul in my life, if you would. This is a woman in the church, uh, a church where I served, and she moved to North Carolina when we first uh, began to relate to each other, and I was her pastor on St. Simon's Island after a number of years. She moved to North Carolina, Charlotte, and she still is teaching me. She's a very prayerful woman and I gained from her and I gained from her understanding of the scriptures and her wisdom and then I've got a clergy person that is male and he is older than me and I look to him and I run things by him and he's the kind of friend and mentor that he'll encourage me but he also has that keen ability to be able to look me in the eye and say Tim I want you to hear me on this I want you to maybe see something that you don't necessarily see about yourself. All the time, I know that no matter what conversation I'm having with him, he is committed to seeing my greatest potential fulfilled. And I think that's important. And so we all need a Paul in our life. 
And as we work through these examples, I want you to write maybe somebody that has been that for you. Maybe they're not that for you now, but you're grateful for them. Maybe it's somebody that's gone to be with the Lord and they're no longer here on earth, but oh, how they mentored you, how they invested in you. Who is your Paul? That's important. And so that manifestation of the Holy Spirit came in that way. Somebody was asking a church member where Peter Marshall had preached. You'll remember Peter Marshall was a great Presbyterian pastor. He served as a chaplain in Congress. And somebody said, what is it that makes you drawn to him? What is it that makes you want to learn from him? And the respondent said, he seems to know Christ and he helps me to know him better. What a great definition for a mentor. He seems to know Christ and he wants to help me know him better. That's what a mentor is. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith, of their way of life, and imitate their faith. I've shared with you what the Board of Education in Tennessee had as part of their philosophy years ago. They had this. They said, we believe teaching is best done in this format with this flow. You do it. Number two, excuse me, I'll do it. Number two, I'll do it. You watch. Number one, I'll do it. Number two, I'll do it. You watch. Number three, you do it. And number four, you do it and I'll watch. And the idea of handing off one's faith, giving away one's faith and nurturing. We all need a Barnabas, an encourager. Not only do we need a Paul, but we need someone to really champion us. Somebody that can cheer us on. It's interesting in the Bible, it says that his real name was Joseph. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. But the apostles were so drawn to him, they were so moved by him, they changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's really what encouragement is, isn't it? It's where we need an infusion of courage. It's when that person comes beside us, maybe in a dark night of the soul, in a very difficult time, when we're climbing a hill and we're not sure we're going to make it to the top, and somebody cheers us on and helps us to believe in ourselves, helps us to see how God is working in our lives and identifies that for us. We all need that. And some of you have been that for pastors here and for me. And I remember in a church where I served, there was this wonderful woman. Her name was Frances Roten. And she was feisty and lively and and she was a wonderful woman of faith. And whenever I would see her, I'd walk into the hospital room or I'd walk into her home or I'd walk up to her at church and she'd say, well, there's my favorite preacher. <laughs> now, the truth be known, I was her only preacher. <laughs> but she said that. She said, oh, my favorite preacher. Come here. I want to talk to you. And she'd give me a hug. Well, she passed away. And there were three pastors, three preachers on the platform. And the first one said, you know, I love that woman. She always made me feel good about myself. She always said I was her favorite preacher. <laughs> the second one got up and said, I thought that line was reserved for me. And I finally got up and said, she was a great politician, wasn't she? <laughs> because she told me the same thing. We have a special person like that that's an encouragement for me in this church. Miss Benny Heron. Hello, Miss Benny. I see you down there. 
One day I was visiting with Miss Benny, and I said, Miss Benny, tell me, you know, I'm new to the church, tell me some things. And, and uh, if you know Miss Benny, she, uh, she can get a lot of conversation in in a short amount of time. And she was talking very quickly, and I was trying to keep up, and she was excited and enthused about Pittman Park. And I, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Out of all the pastors that are hanging on that Hall of Shame, I mean Hall of Fame, who is it that you're most drawn to? Who is it that, that you remember most? Who is it that was here during a heyday? Tell me, who did you have an affinity toward? Who did you love most? She said, Tim, I'd be like asking me, did I love my daughter more when she was 17 than when she was 32? I have loved every one of them. And they've all been different. But they've all brought something special to the church. I have loved every pastor. Now that's a good United Methodist Christian. We need encouragers, don't we? Do you have a Barnabas? Do you have somebody that's cheering you on? You need to find that person or maybe you're that person for someone. We need a disciple. Well, we don't say this in an arrogant way, but we need to recognize that God has brought us to a certain point, not just to bring us there, but to allow us to be a gift to somebody else, to allow someone else to glean from our lives, to learn from our mistakes. And that's what Timothy would do with Paul. He was willing to be mentored, and Paul would mentor him. Everyone needs a Timothy in their lives. And I think that is a gift that we can give in gratitude for all those that have mentored us. We, in turn, can invest our lives in others. I think about Kim Bland. Kim is one of our missionaries to the Dominican Republic. She was here at an earlier service. I am so grateful for her because she took on a Timothy, a very special person in my life. Rebecca is my daughter, and she has discipled my daughter and had spend the night parties over with my daughter. And she's studied the scripture with a group of girls, and they've gone shopping together. She didn't have to do that. She wasn't compensated for that. She's simply a young, expectant mother that was willing to invest her life in other young women. What a wonderful thing. And my daughter will take every one of those memories, every one of those situations where my daughter struggled with teenage angst, and she was able to have somebody besides her parents to reflect with. And so do you have somebody? Are you willing to relate to somebody and give your life as a gift? and helping to shape others. And then finally, Stephen. Now that's a different one, isn't it? But Stephen was known, he was considered a saint, not because he was just the first apostle and disciple that was martyred, but he was a caregiver. He had a heart for the poor. He had a heart for the widows and the church. The scripture tells us, carry each other's burdens and in the same way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And that's what he did. 
And that's what we all should be about. God has called all of us to be a Stephen to someone. To offer care and compassion. Today I think about an older woman that is a member of our church and how her daughter every night helps, her to put, helps put her to bed. This 88-year-old woman has Alzheimer's. And each night she thanks her daughter. Thank you for caring for me. But that's family. But what about the Christian family? I have watched you show compassion toward one another. I have watched you when you're not kin by blood, but you're kin by the Spirit, and you've stood with each other. You've cried with one another. And you've been Stephen or Stephanie, whatever may be the case. I think about a woman in our church that has a heart for the poor and the heart for justice ministries. And we have someone affiliated with the church. And I said, would you take them on? Would you help them to get the services they need? Will you help them to move from what is a difficult situation to a better situation? I know that is going to be much uh, to do with what decisions they make. But can you come at least and point them in the right direction? And oh, how she has done that. She is a Stephen. You see, it's all about relationships. Isn't it wonderful that God came in the form of human flesh, that he might relate to us, that we might be able to relate to God the Father in a vertical relationship. And he's given us the gift of horizontal relationships, and it's called the body of Christ. Are you in a small group? Are you in a Sunday school? Gang, I need to tell you that if you're just going to come on Sunday morning, that won't get it in terms of real, meaningful, deep relationships. Because it's in the midst of those small groups that life-to-life sharing takes place. The caring of burdens occurs. And encouragement is on the order of the day in those settings. And so as your pastor, I want to encourage you at the beginning of this new year to commit yourself to relationships, to your relationship in living in Christ, and let part of the outflow of that be your relationship with the church and with the body of Christ and with the children of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.